Good morning, everyone. I want us to think again this morning together about this matter of justification. And I want to read in Romans chapter 8, beautiful chapter, and it begins with those words, There is therefore now no condemnation, no judgment, to those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, those who are believers in the Lord Jesus or on the Lord Jesus have trusted their lives and their souls to him, having repented of their sins and believed on God's Son, who died for them upon the cross at Calvary and rose again, as we've thought, on account of their justification, uh, proof positive that God was well satisfied and well pleased with the offering that his Son had made there in the darkness alone on Calvary's cross. But I want us to read this verse, verse 28 of Romans chapter 8, which many of us take great encouragement from. And we know that all things work together for good to them that, are, that love God, uh, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And before we launch into what I, what I want us to talk about particularly this morning, I just want you to be encouraged, dear troubled believer, this morning because perhaps your life is not anywhere near what you want it to be, sadness and sorrow and grief and loss and difficulties and problems of every description uh, are the lot so often of God's people. And I know so many that are going through difficult times at the moment. And this verse has been an enormous comfort to me and to many, many other people who believe on the Lord Jesus. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose, those who have experienced that effectual call, the call that was responded to. And we believed on him <clears throat> who died for us. And all things work together for good. Difficult, isn't it? There must be all kinds of believers in all kinds of situations this morning that can hardly think that that's true in their lives. All things working together for good? How could what's happening to me be for my good? Well, I have to agree with you sometimes we get into those situations, but then in retrospect, when we look back, we can often see the hand of God in all these things, and how that if it had not been for those difficult experiences, we wouldn't be enjoying the blessings that we're enjoying uh, later. And I often think of what it was said about what Joseph said. You remember Joseph was uh, hated by his brothers, sold as a slave, and ultimately in Egypt he became the Prime Minister, he became the second in command in that land. And he, when his brothers were eventually brought before him and he opened his heart to them and told them who he was because they didn't know, of course, when they first came, they didn't realise that this was their brother. He could say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And had they not done what they did, and had they not 
being the way they were, then, then perhaps Joseph would never have been in the position that he was in to become the saviour of the world in that particular sense in distributing the food at the time of famine. So, all things work together for good, but there's also a deeper and a more blessed uh, reason for this verse too. Not that I want to take away that blessing from your soul and from my own this morning, but he goes on to say in verse 29, For whom God did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Uh, firstborn among many brothers. Sometimes we think of predestination and we get ourselves all confused and up in a twist about it. But please just notice what predestination has to do with. It has to do with who, not what. Uh, who, not where. It's not, not so much the thought of predestined to go to heaven. It's God has predestinated those who have responded to the effectual call of God upon their hearts and their belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. And their destiny is to be conformed to the image of God's Son. Isn't that wonderful? We'll be like him physically. We shall have a body of glory like unto his glorious body. And we shall be like his Son in all ways, <clears throat> not of course that we shall be divine in that sense, but we shall bear the image of the heavenly in that coming day when Jesus comes to claim his own at the rapture, when we shall be caught up together to meet the Lord Jesus. And we shall be with him, and we shall be like him, and we shall be together with all God's people. And all of those loved ones who were believers in him, that have already gone to heaven. So he says in verse 30, Moreover, whom he did predestinate them, he also called the effectual call. And whom he called them, he also justified. And whom he justified them, he also glorified. I find that very interesting. That it is in the past tense. And you know, God is eternal. And when he says something, it's done. And as far as God's purposes with regard to you and me, who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ is concerned, we are already in God's purposes glorified. In the sense that it is, I, may, I say, I use an expression, perhaps uh, I hope it's not offensive in any way, it's a done deal. It's something that's already finished. It's something that's already completed. As the Lord Jesus said upon the cross, Tetelestai, finished, done, completed, fulfilled. And as far as the believer is concerned, in the purposes of God, the eternal God, time is not an issue with God. We are already in God's purposes glorified in the sense that it is something that can never be changed and can never be frustrated. And the end of this chapter confirms 
all that. But then he poses a question. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Isn't that incredible? Isn't that wonderful? God for me. God for us, those who have believed to the saving of their soul. So he poses this question, if God is for us, who can be against us? And he says, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So here's the question. If God is for us, who can be against us? God? Of course not. He spared not his own son. He sent him from heaven. To the cross of Calvary for our sins. He delivered him up. Acts chapter 3 tells us that, chapter 2 tells us that. He was delivered up by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. And he was taken by wicked hands and crucified and slain. We thought about it in Romans chapter 4 and verse 25. He was delivered up for our offences. Delivered up to Calvary, that is. And here we find it. This question. If God is for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And then he poses another question. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? We thought about it being a a courtroom scene, didn't we, last time? And in a sense, here's a courtroom scene again. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who is the one that has been offended by our sinfulness? God. So God is the only one that can lay a charge against us. God is the one. But what does it say? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? God? That justifier? Here's the matter of justification. The only one that can lay the charge against my sinful soul is God. And yet God is the one who has justified me has made me right in his sight. And we thought about that, didn't we, last time? Justified because of God's grace. Justified because of the gift that God gave in the person of his son, who went to Calvary and died in the sinner's place and shed his blood 
as the payment for my sins. God, in whom my faith rests in his promises, that whosoever believeth on him shall not be put to shame. So the only one that can lay a charge against my soul is God. And he does, unbelieving soul this morning. He lays a charge against your soul. Wages of sin is death. But the same God that has the right to lay the charge and does lay the charge at my sinful soul, at my door, is the same God who justifies the sinner who believes in Jesus. And then he says, who is he that condemneth? Well, we've already thought, didn't we, last time, how that the judge, the one that passes down the condemnation, is Christ. All judgment has been committed into the hands of God's Son. So the one that has the right to condemn my soul, that can pass the the verdict of guilty upon my soul, is Christ. But what does he say? Who is he that condemneth? Christ. Yes. But that same one died, rather is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So the judge, who has the right to condemn my soul to eternal judgment, is the one who died for me, who rose again on account of my justification to prove that that sacrifice was accepted and that my belief in him would justify my soul and make me right with God. Not only so, but he's in heaven today. And he's interceding on my account. There's a beautiful hymn that says, Before the throne of God above I have a strong, a perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his heart, on his hands. My name is written on his heart. And while in heaven my Saviour stands, no voice can bid me thence depart. Because my sinless Saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. So who is he that condemns? Who has the right of judgment? Who has the right to pass down the verdict? Christ. But that same Christ died for me. That same Christ rose again to prove that I'm justified in the sight of God. That same Christ has gone back to heaven and there he intercedes on my account. He's both my high high priest, my great high priest, And he's also my advocate 
in the presence of God. And then he says, who shall separate us? I think of this as being the executioner. The judgment has been passed. The sentence has been passed. The the, uh, executioner comes and he takes the prisoner from the dock to execute the judgment that has been pronounced. And what does it say? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Christ. And the conclusion is nothing. Goes on to say in the last two verses of this chapter, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creation shall be able to separate me, separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Justification is something that makes me right with God. And the death of Christ, the shedding of his precious blood on Calvary, is that which has secured my soul's eternal blessing. And nothing, doesn't matter what it is, nothing is able to separate me from God's love, which is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Nothing celestial, that is nothing heavenly. Nothing terrestrial, that is nothing on earth. And nothing infernal, that is in the demonic regions. Hell itself, nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Are you justified in the sight of God? Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and made him your saviour and your Lord? Have you committed your life to him? What a blessing. All things work together for good to those that love God. We've thought about God's love for us. What about my love for him? Those who love God, I can say from the bottom of my heart, and I tell him every day how much I love him and how much I love the Lord Jesus because that blessed one went to Calvary for me. He bore my guilt. He took my sin and he buried it in the deepest sea. Because he bore it, exhausted the judgment consequent upon it. And now in the sight of God, not that I'm perfect in my life, I realise I'm not. Far, far, far from it. But as far as my soul's eternal destiny is concerned, I have been justified in the sight of God. My soul is free. And before the throne of God above, I have a strong and a perfect plea a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. Those nail prints, in a sense, are my name. My name is graven on his hands. And my name is written upon his heart. Just like the high priest in the Old Testament had the names of the tribes 
upon his breastplate, and in heaven today my name, and the names of all those that have believed on him, they are written upon his heart. And while in heaven my Saviour stands, no voice can bid me thence depart. God bless his word to you today.